This morning, if you'll take your Bible and find the book of Titus. Titus is uh, closer to the end of your New Testament. It's a short little book. If you find uh, all of us, I think, recognize the impact that mothers have, you know, when they show uh, on sporting events or games, whenever they, they show the, the famous athlete and they put the camera right on him, what does he say? He doesn't say, hey, hey dad, right, or hey, brother. He says, hi, mom, because he recognizes the impact his mom had. Uh, it, one historian wrote that Ronald Reagan was most influenced by Jack Kemp, and Jack Kemp was most influenced by his mother. We know that mothers have incredible influence. And this text is a call to really all women to expand that influence. And, and obviously you have influence in your family, but to expand that influence and to have influence as a woman in the church. That there are specifics in the Bible about the place and role of women in the church. And I, I believe it's, a, it's an essential role and it's a high, high calling. And the church is, the church is going to stumble and we're not going to be effective as effective as we should be and want to be if women don't take up this high calling. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. What, what Paul the Apostle is doing, he's writing to Titus, who is essentially establish, establishing churches in a very pagan area on the island of Crete. Chapter 1 is about church leadership, and then essentially he turns to different age groups in the church. And the text here before us is broken down into the different ages and different... Uh, sexes in the church. There's older men, then there's older women, then there's younger women, there's younger men. We're going to focus on, on the women section this morning since it's Mother's Day. Titus 2 beginning in verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. First of all, when Paul is writing about the high calling of a Christian woman, he talks about their example, to be an example in the church, to be an example in the church. Look at what he says about the example of the older women here. By, by older in that day and time, probably talking about women who've raised their children, uh, that, that essentially this is probably in, in Paul's day and time addressing uh, a woman anywhere from 40 to 60. But, but essentially older and younger are relative terms. So if you're 22, you are an older woman than a 16-year-old. I think that's also the case here. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Reverent there essentially just speaks of how one would act as they worship God. That there is a, a certain demeanor that is called for as a woman worships God. That's what that's talking about. Not slanderers. This actually, this same word is found in the instructions to deacon's wives. You know, there are qualifications for the deacon's wife as well. One of them is that she not be a slanderer. A slanderer is a person who says malicious things about another person. That, that as a godly woman, a godly older woman... Don't use your words to tear others down. Incidentally, Jesus very clearly in Matthew 18 gives a paradigm for dealing with one another in the church. If someone sins against you, you should go to them. Don't go to someone else. Go to them and deal with the matter with them. Face-to-face -face contact, trying to get to the bottom of an issue, maybe even a sin. 
Maybe malicious gossip oftentimes can end well, much better than just talking about it behind the scenes. Not only that, but they're not to be slaves to much wine, not to be slaves to much wine. The Scripture consistently warns Christians and warns God's people against the dangers of alcohol. That is the consistent message of the Bible on the issue of alcohol. Notice one of the dangers of alcohol is its potential and capacity to cause, bring people into slavery. None of us hears about being enslaved and be like, yeah, that sounds good to me. Absolutely not. And, and, and here the, the danger is, is to, to women, don't be a slave to much wine. That's part of your example. The, the reality is wine is an addictive, mind-altering agent that can enslave you. So beware. It's just a danger. We need, we need to th- think through this and be very wise with use of alcohol because of its power to enslave. Uh, a few questions you could ask yourself is, that, you know, how much do you need it? I mean, are you able to have a good evening and enjoy yourself without it? How much do you love it? How much do you perceive that you need it? I mean, are you replacing the joy that God gives you or that your family gives you with this mind-altering chemical? Beware. As an older woman, don't be enslaved to much wine. I I think part of what happens oftentimes in the life of a woman is as you get older, for most people, the pains of life increase. That's sadly the reality of life. You get older and the pains of life increase. Uh, Disappointments continue to abound. And a lot of people want that numbed. Or they seek an escape from that. So just beware that you don't become enslaved. That's their example. Now the next part in the focus this morning talks about how women can and should be engaged in the church. To be engaged in the church. To be an example as an older woman, which I think your example is critical. But also to be engaged in the church. And look at, how, look at specifically how women are called to be engaged at the end of verse 3. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. So are women supposed to teach? Yes, they are supposed to teach other women. This is crucial and essential for the future of the church. Another woman, an older woman, is going to be far more effective than me in teaching a younger woman. Why? Because they've been there. So women are to teach. Now, again, people wonder about, well, you know, Baptists believe women aren't supposed to be pastors. That's right, because that's what the Bible says. But, it does, but, but the, the reality is, and, and by the way, if you want to talk more about that, if you have questions about that, concerns about that, let's sit down privately with the Bible open. I'll show you why, historically, the history of the Christian church is women aren't pastors. It's not some new idea. But do women play a crucial role in teaching in the church? Absolutely. Absolutely they do. In fact, I think that it's, it's greatly needed. And sadly, in our day and time, it has been greatly neglected. But the reality is there are, there are some things every Christian is called to do. And there are some things Christians individually are gifted to do. One thing every Christian is called to do by God and commanded by God and exampled by God to do is to teach. Teaching meaning the imparting of information, the imparting of the truth. Women need to take the truth of the Word of God and impart it to younger women. And every woman in the church should be doing that. Every woman in the church should be engaged in that. Every man in the church should be engaged in that. We all are called to make disciples. 
Not only that, look at, look at how he words this there, to teach what is good. That, that word means noble. And so, now notice the, the specific domain of their teaching, which is so crucial. And so train the young women. You see the word train there? It's a verb that comes from the word wisdom. It's a verb that comes from the word wisdom. It means to impart wisdom. This word was used to describe how one advises a king to give advice. I mean, everybody needs advice. Wouldn't it be nice to have an older woman that you could call upon or that you could meet with to give you advice? Don't we all need that? No, I certainly do. The church should be the natural place this happens. The God's people, there shouldn't be younger women in the church wanting for instruction. We all need it. Older women feel that need. Teach what is good, and so train the young women, some specifics, to love their husbands and children. Notice love is the first thing they're trained in. Incidentally, love is something that is learned, which shows you how the Bible mitigates against the false view of the culture that love is just some feeling or emotion. No, that's not what love is. Love is a commitment. Love is a self-sacrificing commitment to another person, and it can be learned, and it is learned. It far transcends some feeling. And how do you learn it? Well, maybe from someone who's been there and has been through a lot more than you have as a younger woman. Older women need to train younger women to love their husbands. Husbands are hard to love. My goodness. Now, I know that I may be particularly harder to love than most, and I think that's true. But husbands are hard to love. I mean, men are rough. And, and part of, praise God for women that come in and kind of sand off a lot of those rough edges. You would not want to see me if I were unmarried. You would not be able to bear me. You would, you would have fired me long ago. That, I'm being totally truthful. I would be so much rougher, so more, I mean, I'm already brash enough. I would be so much meaner, I would be so much fuzzier. I mean, I, why shave? How silly. It's like making the bed. You're just going to mess it up again. It makes no sense. Praise God for... And how does, a, how does a woman learn to love this person? Training, teaching, encouragement, and also children as well. Training to love children. Again, notice love is the first thing they're trained in there. Not only that, but to be self-controlled in verse 5. By the way, if you look at this list in Titus that's addressed to older men, older women, younger women, and younger men, this is the only word that makes all four of those lists, self-controlled. It means to restrain yourself against fleshly lusts. We'll just leave it at that. To control your fleshly lusts. Something that's trained. Not only that, the next word goes along with that well, pure. The idea of being chaste. Where do chaste and pure women come from? They come from being trained by older, experienced women who know what it's like to resist the lust of the flesh. Not only that, they're to be working at home. Well, what does that mean? Quite exactly what it says. That in God's domain, in God's plan, women have responsibilities at home. Praise the Lord. This is a sacred calling. This is God's design. Women working at home. Now, this doesn't say they can't work outside the home. This doesn't prohibit that. The Bible never does. In fact, the Bible examples the Proverbs 31 woman as a quite an industrious woman who makes a living and who does all kinds of work outside the home. It's just simply saying part of the woman's responsibility and domain is at home. 
And again, we should view this as a sacred work ordained by God. It's amazing the amount of ink that's been spilled in commentaries in the last hundred years trying to explain this away when it's utterly clear what it means. Working out, keep in mind as the preacher, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. Understand that? I don't cook the meal, I just serve it. I don't write the word, I just preach it. And, and friends, I would just say as a, as a baseline conviction, what God says is true. Reorient your thoughts and your life and your heart and your beliefs to what God says. Not to watch the culture has taught you. And I think this is a particular danger in, in our time and in our day where there are so many opportunities. I mean, my goodness, isn't it easy for us to be distracted by the idol of materialism? You know, a, a good thing can become a bad thing if it takes you away from the best thing. And if working at the gym because you're so concerned about physical appearance takes you away from loving your husband or kids, it can become a bad thing. If working in a career to earn money so you can have more stuff takes you away from loving your husband or loving your kids, that could be a bad thing. Every woman, every husband, every family has to deal with those matters on their own. How do you learn to work at home? Well, you're trained by an older, wiser woman. Also, women are trained to be kind. Women are trained to be kind. By nature, a lot of us are, again, rough and can be mean. There's training and kindness available, praise God. And, and here in verse 5, submissive to their own husbands. Something else is trained. Submissive to their own husbands. Okay, well, it's good that we're out of time. So let's, Michael, come on up. So there's this great verse in the book of Nehemiah and, uh, th that I love to quote because, uh, you know, I like to imagine myself in the vein of Nehemiah. Uh, you know, most men are heroes in their own minds, right? Legends in their own minds. Nehemiah, when Nehemiah was uh, confronted one time, he said, should such a man as I run away? One of the things the Bible consistently teaches is wives submitting to husbands. What does that mean? Well, the word submit means to come under authority. And friends, you understand authority is part of the way God has made the world. For instance, every one of us submit to God if we're Christians. Submission is the reality for every Christian. We submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. We submit to him. Not only that, you submit to government. If you're a Christian, you submit to government. God has ordained and established authority in government to be submitted to. You also, there's also authority in the church. But what we're talking about here is authority in the family. That authority by God in the family is vested in the husband. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me start by saying what submission is not. Submission is not inferiority, as our culture would often cast it as such. Wives submitting to husbands does not mean the wife is in any way inferior to the husband. You know what God's first word about women and men in the Bible is? Genesis 1.27. In the image of God, he created them. The first word from God about man and woman is they're both in the image of God. Before God, they are equal. But then in Genesis 2, you know what comes next? They have different roles, which makes perfect sense because we're different. By the way, on that note, Adrian Rogers has a great sermon called Celebrate the Difference based on Genesis about the differences of men and women. It's outstanding. I mean, we don't wanna, you don't want to deny the difference of men and women. You want to celebrate it. It's how God made us. So submission is not inferiority. Jesus submits to the Father. Is Jesus inferior to the Father? No. No. 
In fact, there's always going to be ways that your wife is superior to the husband. There's plenty of marriages where the wife is the intellectual superior to the husband. Or the, 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 the empathetic superior to the husband. It's always going to be that. So it's not inferiority. It also is not men, it's not women submitting to men. This is about the marital relationship. This is about marriage. It's also not an excuse for abuse. And this crazy day and world in which we live, I think we Christians should know that, but a wife submitting to a husband doesn't mean the husband can or should abuse her. If you're a woman and you're in an abusive relationship, you should call the police. Use the authority God has established in government to have government deal with that guy and get yourself in a safe situation. The Bible doesn't allow for women ever to be abused. No, it's not what submission is about. It certainly isn't, it isn't dictatorship either that the man calls all the shots. He's not a dictator. It's not about taking orders. And it's not natural. Submission is not natural. It doesn't come natural. What submission is? What's God's plan? Again, you've got to make a decision. Is God's, is God's way better or am I smarter than God? It's God's order. It's God's design. And God has made man and woman, husband and wife, equal before him but distinct and different. And that difference extends to their roles in the family and household. Another thing submission is, it's in the context of love. Ephesians 5, which is the, the most extensive treatment of wives submitting to husbands, and then the husband's responsibility of loving the wife, begins with the husband's responsibility. And the husband's responsibility is about three times longer than the wife's responsibility. The husband's responsibility begins with loving his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That this, is, this, is the, this is the paradigm for which... A wife submitting to a husband in a Christian family should fall. That the husband is loving his wife as much as Christ loves the church. Now, if, if a man is laying himself out for his wife like that, in such a sacrificing himself for her, again, this is not dictatorship. That should be the kind of man that a, a woman would joyfully want to submit to. And not only that, but there's mutual love. The first instruction here, the, women, the older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands. So there's this context of love, self-sacrificing commitment to one another. It's also a picture of the church, and this is why it's important to the gospel and to our witness. Ephesians 5 teaches that as the wife submits to the husband, it means something. It's more than just this is the way God wants it. It represents to the world how the church submits to Christ. It's also voluntary. Submission is voluntary. Come on, can a husband make his wife submit? You can't make your wife submit. She's got to do it because she wants to obey God. It's voluntary. It's not constrained. It's also difficult and sanctifying. It's difficult for a woman to do this. Again, again imagine the woman who's the intellectual superior to her husband, which is quite common. Right? I mean, we're, we are, men in general are more lugs than women. Just look at, look at college graduation rates over the last 50 years. In general. It's difficult, but it's sanctifying. It sounds like following Jesus when Jesus says, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself, 
take up the cross and follow me. It's trained. And look at the purpose, that the word of God may not be reviled. Here's the image and here's the picture. And probably what Paul has in mind for his instructions here in Titus and in the church is many women were and still are married to unbelieving husbands. What's that guy going to say about the Bible? What's the unbelieving husband going to say about the Bible? Well, what's he going to say if the wife submits to his authority, loves him, loves the kids, and works at home? What's he going to be able to say about her or the word of God that she's following? Is he going to oh, that Bible's bad. And when he goes out to the bar that night and he's listening to all the other husbands complain about how their wives are this and that, he's like, my goodness, my wife submits. Why would she do that? My wife works at home. Why would she do that? She loves me. I'm often quite unlovable. Why would she do that? Because of the word of God. So how you live is an example. Now, a bit of application. Because I really believe this is incredibly important and incredibly needed. Number one, this is needed because of the Great Commission. This is important because of the Great Commission. At the core of what the church does is teaches. And the reality is in most churches there are more women than men. So is all the teaching the women going to get from the pulpit one on Sunday, like one time of teaching a week from a guy who's not going to be able to teach you how to love your kids like another older woman could? That's why it's so crucial that women do this. Where's a young mom going to learn things? Or, or friends, let's take again our context where we have so many military moms. What a hard time in life where husband uh, in the military, serving the military. Uh, by the way, are you patriotic? Many of you are. You want to express your patriotism as an adult woman? Help out a military wife. Military wife, husband goes on deployment for months and months and months. There's wife with kids at home, doesn't know a lot of people, in a new town. Who's going to reach out to her and teach her? What an amazing opportunity for the church and for older women. I can't fill that void as a, as a man that you can fill as an adult woman. The influence of mothers and of women holds an incredibly strategic place in the discipleship of the church. <laughs> and for the future. What, what is amazing about this command? This instruction for the church, they are to teach what is good and so train the young women. Something so clear could seemingly be so absent. I mean, you, these garbage church growth books that come out, I mean, just look at my junk mail. Or all the, the, the I'm, I'm trying to control my language here. All of the worthless information they give to Adam about church planting, some of it's good. A lot of it's a joke. Adam, how much of that church planning information is taught about women training women in the church? This is clearly in the Bible. Or right now when we're thinking about, okay, replacing a student pastor. What does the Bible say about a student pastor? Hmm. So we in Southern Baptist life have created this position called student pastor or student ministry, which I'm not against, by the way. I think it's good to disciple students. I think this is a good way to do it. 
But here's, the, here's to me the weird irony. We've got, this, we've got this position created that the Bible says nothing about, and there's a mandate in Scripture that there seemingly are very few, if any, structures that support women teaching, training younger women. Biblically mandated. My point is we should highly value something the Bible mandates. This is one way older women can stay active in the church. I mean, when you, again, Michael prayed for empty nesters. What do you do when you have an empty nest? I have no idea. I've never been there. Well, one thing you can do as a woman is you can train other women. They need it. And by the way, most of the ones I've talked to want it. It's needed because of the Great Commission. Number two, it's needed because of the time. You understand that the Bible says the whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. Our culture militates against the scripture that I just read, doesn't it? Our culture is the exact opposite of this. The opposite of this. Unchastity, impurity reigns, doesn't it? It's normalized. It's expected. And friends, the world is teaching young women a thing or two, isn't it? I mean, the world has some messages for them, and they're getting through. And they're quite influential. And this is why you women are so needed in the church to carry out this biblical role of teaching other women. I mean, when I was in college, the show was Friends. Now, I was a secular, I was, a, I was an immature Christian, I was saved, but I was very secular. And I, as a secular person, watched Friends and was like, my gosh, it's rank depravity. And a sick, a sick portrayal of relationships. Let alone you go in Walmart and there's Cosmopolitan. Here's a, here's a popular magazine for women. I mean, it's got its message. Or Fifty Shades of Depravity. I mean, come on. Let alone the weaponizing of pornography in our day by the internet. If you live out this Titus 2, you're going to look really different from the world. In fact, you're going to probably provoke some questions. And the reality is unbelievers don't read the Bible. We don't expect them to. But they will read your life. And if there's a woman who submits to her husband, how weird is that in this world? Who works at home. Again, not saying she can't work outside the home. But who does work at home. Who loves her husband and children instead of just complains about them all the time and how bad they are. And so many are. What is that going to say? It's going to provoke questions about what's different here. And when that woman has joy because of Christ and because of obedience, and the Fifty Shades of Depravity girl is seeking something and only being found, left with emptiness, an older woman can train a younger woman about what is really valuable in life. Friends, we rightly complain about the depravity of our age, here is something women can do to counter it. Where are pure and chaste young women going to come from? Obviously, as parents, if you have a daughter, you want to raise them to be that, but, but you, you, you have the help of other sisters in the church. right? Or you women who have young boys, what kind of girl do you want your young boy to marry? And where is she going to come from? Purity doesn't just happen.
This is why this is so crucially important for us to do as the church if we're going to impact the world. And by the way, see, I really believe the church is the best hope for the world. I really do. I, I believe the world that is rotting because of its depravity, the church is the light and the salt the world needs. And the women in the church play an incredibly strategic role in that. Final application. How could this look in a church? Older women training younger women. You, well, you need to be intentional, both do. Older women should be intentional to reach out to younger women. Younger women should be intentional to reach out to older. Again, if we really are a family and love each other, we need to be willing to talk to each other. Just go to lunch, go to breakfast, have coffee. And you know what you can do? You can take this text and you can read it and you can talk about it. You can pray for each other. You can develop a relationship around an older woman helping, teaching a younger woman. Now, what can't be an excuse, what cannot be an excuse, which is a common excuse, is, well, I'm not a perfect parent and I never was. You know why that's not a, a good excuse? Because no per- parent is perfect. We're all sinners trying to struggle through and find help. So don't let that be an excuse. Or a lot of parents, or particularly older women, live with this guilt that I did such a bad job. Well, you know what? You probably have a lot to contribute to a younger girl about, you know, I, I went down this path and that was a wrong path. Here's some things that I did that were good. You know what? If you're, a, if you're an older woman and you've raised a teenager, you have strategic information that younger women do not have. And every teenager is different. But you know what you can do? You can bring to the table or the relationship what you've experienced. The point is you need to do that. And regardless of all of our failures in the past, and all of them have it, we need to start today and do what the Bible says. So as a woman, be a Christian woman and make, what an amazing difference mothers make, what a strategic role you have to play in shaping the future of the church and Christianity in the country. I really believe you probably have the most strategic role to play. So please do it. One of the things I love about you people, this church, is that, like, just looking out there, the, I mean, I know almost all you women, I know that you want to be faithful. Uh, you, want, you want to live the Christian life. When you hear the Bible, right, you don't shut it down or turn it off. You want to live it out. That's one of the things I love about the, the women in this church. Here's what the Bible says. So this week, pray about and strive to do this for the glory of God and for the future of the church. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your many kindnesses that come to us. Thank you for the grace of women that you've created man and woman different by design. Thank you for the gift of women and older women in the church. Thank you for the gift of younger women in the church. Uh, I pray you would use the older women in our church to train the younger and to encourage them, to advise them in wisdom and your word. And they'd be great and and strong and joyful and healthy and happy and, and spiritually driven relationships built here Uh, As a result of what you say, Lord, and striving to live it out, we need your help. These things are hard. 
To be pure is hard. To teach is hard. To reach out to others is hard. God, I just pray that you'd use us all, Lord, for the making of disciples, that we would be salt and light in a wicked world in an evil time. God, use us as a bright light of truth and of hope for the hurting, uh, that there'd be much training here in Christ, that we'd teach others to follow Jesus, and that'd be the greatest help in their life. And they'd find it here in the church. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The greatest need is to be forgiven of your sins, which God has done by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die as a sacrifice for sins. He was raised from the dead. He's powerfully ruling over all again. Uh, All of us Christians submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every human being will bow the knee before him as Lord. In God's mercy, he's given you, by his kindness, opportunity to repent and turn from your sins, which you should do today. And trust the Lord Jesus. Trust Jesus to bring you to God. He's the only one who can. And he'll do it. He'll forgive you of any sins. All of us have failures in the past. All of us parents have failed in multiple ways and will continue to fail. But let's resolve with God's help to do what he says in the strength he provides for his glory.